Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, morning, morning. How's everybody doing? All right, I want to welcome everyone here in the room, everybody watching online as well. So we're in the second week of this series called Marriage, For Better, For Worse. And I want to begin today with a little audience participation. Can we do that? Everybody okay with that? Okay. We'll see how truthful you'll be when we get into this. We'll begin with the ladies here. Ladies, how many of you would say that either occasionally or maybe quite often, you battle with the need to have things the way you want? You can be a little controlling, okay? Ladies, go ahead and take control and raise your hands up really high. Let me see them. Come on, keep them up. All right. Thank you for your honesty. All right. Gentlemen, <laughs> yeah, you may be a little aggressive. You may be aggressive in your business. You may be aggressive in your hobbies. But how many of you would say that at least from time to time in some important areas, you can be a little low-key, a little go with the flow, a little too passive? Guys, go ahead and passively just raise your hands up, okay? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, ladies, if you're next to a really passive guy and you're a really controlling woman uh, and he didn't raise his hand because he's so passive, go ahead and reach over and raise his hand for him, all right? <laughs> Nobody's got the guts to do that. <clears throat> a wise congregation this morning. All right, we're going to talk about this particular subject today as we look at what is possibly the worst marriage in the entire Bible. If you're feeling bad about your marriage this morning, you'll probably leave here encouraged because we're going to look at the marriage between King Ahab and his evil and annoying wife, Jezebel, okay? Yeah, some of you know the story, you're like, oh boy. Well, let me give you the context here. So King Ahab, he was the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He reigned for 20 years from 875 to 855 BC. He was actually a strong political and military leader. But as is often the case, when you got a guy who's a real go-getter in one area, for some reason, it's not uncommon for him to be a little passive at home, which he was. Now, he could have led the people closer to the one true God, because at this point in time in history, God's people were straying into some very unusual, very unbiblical practices. And he could have led God's people back to the one true God. But instead, he actually, after marrying Jezebel, he led them further and further away from God. He led them into idolatry. He led them into Baal worship. In fact, the Bible says that this particular man did more evil than any of the other kings before him, but he didn't do it alone. So let's take a look at God's word here. First Kings 21:25 is going to set the tone for our whole study this morning. It says this, no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did. But notice he didn't do it alone. He did it how? Let's say it aloud together. <clears throat> Under the influence of his wife, Jezebel. Okay, Ahab and Jezebel, people, they represent the two most common problems in marriage throughout all of history. Burn this into your mind. Ahab represents the passive husband, and Jezebel represents the controlling wife. Let me say that again. Ahab represents the passive husband, 
Jezebel represents the controlling wife. So let's take a look at their story, and we'll see this come out in both of them. We'll begin with the passive husband. Okay, let me give you some more context here. King Ahab, he lived next door to a guy named Naboth. That was his neighbor. And Naboth, he had this really, really sweet vineyard. And I'm sure every day Ahab would look over and go, man, I've always wanted a sweet vineyard, you know, like that. That would be nice to have that sweet vineyard. And so one day he decides, I, I want to try to get that sweet vineyard. And here's what happened. 1 Kings 21.2, <clears throat> Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it's close to my palace. Okay, let's just pause here for a second. There is a spiritual principle, one that I do not like, but it is absolutely true, and it goes like this. Every man has a chick thing, okay? Yes, you heard me right. Every man has a chick thing. We all do, all right? Every man is allowed one. Some of you guys out here, your chick thing is you go to chick flicks and you cry at chick flicks, okay? Yeah, and that is your chick thing. Uh, there are other guys, they, they get their fingernails done. What's that? It's manicures, right? Yeah, I'd personally rather be pummeled by a UFC fighter than get a manicure. But if that's your chick thing, you know what? I'm not going to judge you, okay? I know guys who are into their hair. They're totally into their hair. They have more hair products than three women combined, okay? That is a chick thing. And now let me be vulnerable. You ready? You're going, well, Brian, do you have a chick thing? Yes, I have a chick thing. You ready for this? My chick thing is house cleaning. It's domestic chores. You know, women like to have the nest and keep it all clean. I am okay with, you know, dish, dishwashing, you know, laundry, cleaning, organizing, you know, picking things up. Okay, that is my chick thing. And, and I've had other friends of mine say, Brian, you would make such a lovely wife. <laughs> and I own it. I say, yes, yes, I would. <laughs> Absolutely, I would. And you know what? It works for Wendy and I. She doesn't like to be indoors. She always wants to be outside, right? She wants to do those manly things. We're on a ranch. She goes outdoors. She does that. I do the indoor task. It works for us, all right? And I know some of you are incredibly disappointed right now. Some of you may not come back to church here, okay? <laughs> I'm owning it. It's my chick thing. Well, King Ahab, his chick thing, he wants a vegetable garden, okay? That's what he wants. He's got his chick thing. And, and that's okay. I would say this. You, you can have one. Okay? Now, guys, if you have all these things, you're not allowed to come back to the church. I'm just, no, I'm kidding, okay? But Ahab, he wants this vegetable garden so he can grow tomatoes, whatever it is. And, and here's what he says, in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. Say, so what's he doing here? He's going into negotiations, right? This is a business transaction. It's a negotiation, verse 3. <clears throat> but Naboth replied, uh, the Lord forbid that I give you the inheritance of my father's. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And so what did this guy do? He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Let's just call him what he is. He's a wuss, okay? <laughs> it's my church version. What's going on here? Okay, he's basically entering into a business negotiation for a piece of real estate. And he goes to the neighbor. He makes an offer. The neighbor says, okay, the king made me an offer. Nah, I'm not going to take that. Now, that's actually not unusual in the initial phases of a negotiation, is it? Not at all. Maybe the neighbor's sitting there going, well, I'm waiting for him to raise the price. You know, up the ante, sweeten the pot. Or maybe Naboth would have never taken the deal. We don't know. Because when the king thought he couldn't win, he basically took his ball and he went home, right? Which is what so many men do. If we think we can't be successful, we're not going to play the game at all. 
You know, in a marriage relationship, if a man feels like, you know what, I'm never going to measure up to what she wants. You know, I'll never be good enough. I'll never be like her father. I'll never be able to please her because every time I try, she tells me that I don't. What's he going to, if we feel like we can't win, we're going to take our ball, go home, and sulk, okay? Very sad, but very true. The passive man. Now, let's look for a moment at the controlling wife, beginning in verse 5. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? And he answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in his place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Now, I'm not getting my vegetable garden, okay? And watch what she does. Verse 7, his wife says, is this how you act as king over Israel? You whiner, you cry, baby? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. In other words, you can't do it yourself. Move out of the way, buddy. Let somebody who knows how to do this get this done. Ladies, I want to tell you something that you probably already know that that we as men don't like to admit. (laughs) We're all very insecure at one point or another in our lives. And and sadly and, and honestly, oftentimes the stronger we portray ourselves on the outside, the weaker, the more vulnerable we may feel on the inside. And folks, this goes all the way back. I mean, all the way back to the garden, to the very beginning. You may remember, God creates everything, and God says it is good. Animals good, food good, mountains good. Everything is good except one thing, and I think a lot of you know it. It was not good for man to be alone. Like, he just doesn't do well. He'll lose his keys. He won't bathe regularly. I mean, it's just not good. Not good for man to be alone. And so God, he brings to man woman, beautiful, fun, and he says, she's going to be your helper, your helpmate. Now, you know what? A lot of women, they get insulted by this. Like, I I don't want to be that. And that's kind of sad to me because this is such an important role. Let me tell you a little bit about that Hebrew word helper. First of all, that word is used most often of God, of God. It is not a derogatory term at all. It's used most often of God. And second, it speaks of being a completer. It's like the puzzle piece and the whole puzzle together. It's not complete without woman. Folks, God is egalitarian. God sees men and women as equal. But in the marriage context, the wife is essential to help that husband become all that God wants him to to be. But here's the key, lady. You can take a man who is weak and help him become a stronger man of God. A godly woman will do that. But a controlling woman will take a weak man and make him weaker, which is exactly what Jezebel did with her husband Ahab. And she did it in two ways. And these two things are still the two major things that will make a weak man weaker today. You ready for this? The first one is this. She belittles her husband with her words. She belittles her husband with her words. In verse 7, she says, is this how you act as king over Israel? In other words, oh, man, you never get it right. You're, you're not, and you can, and I wish, and on and on and on. Ladies, you have to understand that what you say about your husband is either building him up or tearing him down. Often, he's becoming what you speak about him. Proverbs 18, 21 says, words can bring death or life. You know, sadly, the controlling wife will tear her husband down over and over again with critical and belittling words. 
You know, in my world, one of the most common complaints I hear from Christian wives is, he won't lead me spiritually. He just won't lead. I heard a pastor share a story about a time when a woman came up to him and said, hey, my husband's just not a good spiritual leader. So he actually went to the husband and said, you know what you need to do? You need to pray with your wife. He's like, oh, you, you don't understand. I don't know. Yeah, you, you can do this. You can do it. So the guy does it. A couple weeks later, the pastor follows up, and the husband reported to him that his wife said, and I'm not making this up, you call that a prayer? <laughs> you need to learn how to pray better. Okay, what she just did was she basically said, you're not winning in this department. So what's he going to do? He's going to take his ball. He's going to go home, and he's never going to try again because she belittled him with her words. Now, what she should have done, and, and I'm half joking, but I'm mostly serious here. She should have said, honey, thank you so much for praying. I mean, I am so grateful that you went to God on our behalf. And then she should have laid on him the most aggressive, passionate 30-minute kiss he'd ever had, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because what's rewarded, right, what, what's rewarded gets repeated. Ladies, think of us like little puppy dogs, okay, all right? If you say, come here, boy, good doggy, good doggy, you scratch us behind the ears a little bit, and we're going to come back, we're going to wag our tail, it's going to be good, right? But if you take a newspaper and throw it at us and say, you know, bad doggy, what kind of prayer was that? Yeah, we're going to take our ball, we're going to go home, we're going to become passive because we feel like we can't win, just can't win. The godly woman will make a weak man stronger. A controlling woman will make a weak man weaker. Now, the second way a controlling woman makes a weak man weaker is she simply takes over. Okay, watch how Jezebel moves in and takes the driver's seat here. In verse 7, she says, okay, you can't do it, you loser. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, for you. I'll get it done since you can't. You know, it's a little bit like traveling in a car. When you're traveling in a car, there is a responsible seat and there's a carefree seat, right? The responsible seat is the driver's seat. Whoever is driving has got to pay attention, watch the signals, know where they're going. But the person riding shotgun has to do what? Turn up the radio, right? Chill out, drink the drink, have fun. Why? Because someone else is driving. And ladies, if you always take control and drive, eventually you'll just condition him to crank up the radio, chill out in the passenger seat. And I know that there are extreme cases, okay, where the husband doesn't work, the family's got to eat, the wife's got to do something. I understand that sometimes if the woman doesn't do it, it's just not going to get done. I'm not trying to belittle that scenario. But what I am trying to say, ladies, is this that if you constantly step in and take over his God-given leadership role just over and over again, he'll eventually let you. He'll surrender the call that God has on his life. He'll just back up, and he'll let you do it over and over and over again. And then what happens is that the very thing that you want most, you've taken from him. You'll never get it. And it becomes a vicious cycle, right? And where does it ever end? And it's not just in the big things. It's often in a series of little things over and over and over again that train him that he's never going to get it right, that he's never going to win. You know, it could be as simple as this. You know, the guy decides that he's going to dress the little children on his own very first time. Okay, ladies, can I just tell you, he's not going to get it right, okay? It's impossible. He's a man. I mean, we don't match right. The hair won't be right. But if you come in and say, oh, my word, look at you kids. You don't match. You're not going out in public that way. And then you just redress the whole crew. What did you just do? You just told him, hey, there's no way you're going to win in this department. 
Or, you know, you could applaud the fact that he just did something, right? Now, please hear me on this. Sometimes you will have to take control. Sometimes you will. But other times, you just got to make a decision to applaud the attempt. You know, the man goes to vacuum, which may be a minor miracle, okay? And his lines are a little crisscross. If you come in and go, oh, those lines aren't perfectly straight. If you criticize that, he's probably not going to vacuum again. Or he loads the dishwasher and you come back and reload it because the cups go over here. <laughs> yeah, I get a little too close to home there, right? I mean, I hear ladies say from time to time, you know, my husband just never disciplines our children. Yeah, it could be that the last 18 times he tried, you told him he did it wrong. So he took his ball and he left. So what are you supposed to do, ladies? Because I know, no, no, I know this is complex. I know this isn't easy. Let me just toss out a few things. First of all, I would encourage you to ask God to help you love him, faults and all, without taking control. Because if you always take control, I'm telling you, he'll just relax in that passenger seat. No worries at all. Second, ladies, I would suggest that you really honestly, fervently pray for him. Pray, pray, pray. Pray and then stay out of the way. Okay, don't try to make him what you want. Pray and ask God to do that. Let the Lord do a work. And I know it could be tough for years. I acknowledge that. But you pray, and then you trust the one who can truly change his heart. Pray, and then stay out of the way. And please hear me. I know this is tough, but it's usually the best way. All right, let me switch gears here. Let me deal with a gentleman for just a second here. You know, maybe the reason Jezebel felt the need to take control is because her husband simply hadn't done anything in a long time. Maybe in the home, he wasn't leading at all. So what I want to say to the guys is you have a God-given responsibility to lead. The Scripture is very clear that you are called to lead. It's not a power thing. It's a servant thing, and it's God's ordained plan for the family. Men, you are hardwired by God to lead. I'm telling you, it is in you. You don't have to teach a guy to do this, okay? It's, it's in you. You are hardwired by God to lead. You can do it, but oftentimes you're stuffing it down. You know, I, I would say, I thought about this. It's kind of like, you know, if you're not stepping up and leading, it's kind of like a tiger, right? A tiger, you don't have to teach a tiger to go out and hunt. It's already in them, okay? I'm saying it's the same thing. The fish, you don't have to teach a fish how to swim. They know how to swim. It's already in them. And this may come as a two-by-four to some of you guys, but do you know why your wife is nagging you all the time just over and over again? It could be that mostly you're slacking. You're not doing what she knows God expects you to be doing. You can do it. It's in you, but you're stuffing it down. So as we get near the end here, let me give you a few steps that I can give you guys to step it up. I'll keep it real simple here. If you look at the Bible, there are basically three major categories in which God calls you to lead. And the first category is this. You're called to lead as the provider. Now, let me tell you what this doesn't mean. Okay, it doesn't mean that she has to be barefoot, pregnant, in the kitchen, and not working. Okay? Not at all. She can be a major financial contributor. doesn't mean that you have to balance the checkbook if she's better at it. No, let her. It means you set the financial tone and direction for your family. You lead her and say, you know what? We're not going to be upside down in debt, pursuing materialism, ending up broke and, and miserable. We're not going to do that. We're going to be different. It means you offer her the gift of financial stability. And I'm telling you guys, that's what a woman desperately wants and needs. Doesn't mean you have to be wealthy. It means you have to be stable. You lead her and you say, we're going to be a giving family because we want to honor God and receive his blessings. 
So you lead in that area of being a provider. Second, you lead her as the protector. Okay, now this doesn't just mean that if somebody breaks into your home, you beat them to a pulp with every weapon you've got stored up, right? That you've been waiting forever to use if somebody messes with your family. And you do that, of course, but that's not all. It means you protect her in so many other ways. Like you protect her heart. You protect her emotions. You let her know that as long as she's with you, you'll love her with your faithfulness, in your mind, with your eyes, with your actions. It means you protect the children she's given you. You tell them, you know what? Even if everybody else is doing it, if it's not in this book right here, if it's not according to God's ways and God's word, you're not going to do that. You protect them from the wrong kinds of friends. Sorry, you're not going to hang out with her. Or yeah, all your other friends go there, but we don't go there because we are different. See, you stand in the gap as a man of prayer, as a man of faith, a man of God. You protect your family from the dangers and temptations of this fallen world. So you're a provider, you're a protector, and then finally, you are the pastor, okay? And don't check out on me here and say, oh, no, I can't do that. You know, I'll never be able to succeed. Okay, this doesn't mean that you have to be a theologian, right? It doesn't mean that you have to have a daily two-hour exegetical study through the book of Revelation, right? It doesn't mean that at all. Ladies, don't expect him to do that. What it does mean is you set the spiritual tone for your family. You set the spiritual direction. It could be as simple as, you know what, we're going to be in church each and every Sunday. And if we can't make it, we're going to catch it online. You know, it could be, you know what, we're going to make sure our kids are back in the children's ministry, our teens are involved in youth ministry, because that's their best chance to grow spiritually, to grow in their love for Jesus, to be with other peers and see other guys and girls that are their age that are growing and on fire for God. That's where we're going to learn how to do life with God. I mean, it could mean you pray together as a family around mealtime. It could be that simple. But you set the spiritual tone for your family. And guys, I'm telling you, you can do this. God has wired you to do it. It is in you. So go, take charge. And yes, at first, your wife may push back a little bit. But if she is a Christian, over time, if you do it well, she will respond to your godly leadership. She will come along as your helper and help you to be the man of God that God is calling you to be. See, men, your role is not just to make a lot of money and get a bigger house. You know, don't insult the calling of God with that low of a calling. And it's not to raise championship traveling team soccer players or the spelling bee champion, right? If you think that's your highest calling, you're missing it. Your highest calling is to raise the next generation to be servants of God, to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is your highest calling. So step into it, men. And ladies, I would encourage you, believe in them. Encourage them. Move out of the way and say, take us. Let's go. You can do this. You can do this. Okay, let's get back to the story here as I wrap it up. So Jezebel, she takes control. She says, I'm going to get you this vineyard. And then she basically devises this evil, deceptive kind of plan, this twisted plan. She says, I tell you what, bring Naboth in. We're going to have a little party. I want you to go get Naboth, invite him to this little party, and then I want you to find two thugs who are going to accuse Naboth of cursing God and the king. He didn't do it, but accuse him of that. And as soon as you do that, just take him outside and stone him to death, which is exactly what she does. She has him murdered. She has him murdered. But here's the question. Who does God hold responsible? Take a look at verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, 
Okay, watch this. She's still up in his business. Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. Get up. I did it. I took care of your job. Okay. Verse 16. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Okay, Elijah, he was a prophet, a man of God. And he now enters the scene. Verse 18 says, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? And then say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where your dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. That's nasty, okay? But technically, who had Naboth killed? Jezebel. But who did God hold accountable? Ahab. Interesting, isn't it? Man, it just shows you how important your role is. Step into it and lead. Step into it and lead. Let me close with this. Ladies, women, wives, let me just encourage you that use, be used by God to help a weak man become stronger in his walk with God. You can do that, ladies. You can do that. And men, I would encourage you to step it up. Step up and lead your family to where God wants them to be. You have it in you, okay? Just let it out. Be that leader God wants you to be. Let's pray. Lord, this is such a fascinating study. We look at these marriages that are defunct, and and every marriage, we're all imperfect. We all have our issues. And this one in particular has so much to teach us because this is an issue that's been going on since the beginning when Adam was right there with Eve and she took of the fruit. And God, it's one of these circular issues where because men are passive, the women take control, or because women are controlling, the men just sit in that passenger seat and chill and relax, and they become passive, and round and round and round it goes. God, would you help us to break out of this? I pray for strength for the ladies here who are in this kind of situation to to watch their words, to pray to you, and ask for your strength to to love him where he's at, and to pray for him and trust you to work, and to resist that tendency to to make those comments or, or to take control. And God, for the men, I pray that they would step up in their relationships with their wives, and be the provider, be the protector, and and, and be the pastor to lead in each of those ways, to lead financially, to lead spiritually in, in all ways, to step up because we're called to do that and we have that ability. And God, we recognize that this is a challenge. If it wasn't, we wouldn't be seeing this going on thousands and thousands and thousands of years later. But all things are possible with you. Through your Holy Spirit, this can happen. We can make this happen. So, God, that's what we pray for, and we pray it expectantly, knowing that you're going to do something in our lives. As we take steps forward, you can help us to improve our marriages, improve our relationships in general. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, folks, you won't want to miss next week. I'm not going to give too much away, but we're going to have a special guest up here who's going to speak to the heart of a mom. So be sure to be here next Sunday. You guys have a wonderful week.